Welcome to The Workplace, the podcast where we try to make the places we work, places we love to work. I'm Andrew Scarcella. Every episode, we'll be talking with a different expert about what makes great workplace cultures tick. A Navy fighter pilot? An HR analyst? A fashion icon? Who knows? Will they have all the answers? Nope. But with each one, we'll get a little closer to figuring out what we can do to build workplace cultures where people are happy, healthy, and inspired to do the best work of their lives. This episode, we'll be talking with Erica Keswin about how to design a company culture that's as human as the people working in it. Erica Keswin is a sought-after workplace strategist who writes, speaks, and consults on the relationship between tech and connect for companies and communities. For the past 20 years, she's been working with some of the most iconic brands in the world as a consultant, author, and professional dot connector. She's also the founder of The Spaghetti Project, a platform devoted to sharing the science and stories of relationships at work. Inspired by a 2015 Cornell study showing that firemen who eat together save more lives, The Spaghetti Project was named after the firehouse's go-to meal. Her best-selling book, published in 2018, is titled Bring Your Human to Work, 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace That's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change the World. Erica was interviewed by me. That's right, guys. I finally put in enough hours behind the mic to interview experts all by myself. So why did I want to interview Erica Keswin for The Workplace? Great question, Andrew. I came across her book, Bring Your Human to Work, while looking for authors who were talking about workplace culture. It turns out there aren't a lot, and Erica is the only one who's really been pushing the thinking about culture forward. To her, it's not just a force for change. It's a force for good. It seems like there's a lot of talk about workplace culture, but not very many people with a deep understanding of it. Case in point, what's that supposed to mean? Well, I'm excited to hear what you two talked about. Let's get to it. Hi, Erica. How's it going? Hi. Great. Excited to be here. You're calling in from Aspen right now. How's the mountain life treating you? It is great. Love breathing in the air and getting, getting a break from my day-to-day life in New York City. It's a nice, it's a nice break. I'll say. So let's get into it. Uh, how is bringing your human work going to change the world? When I, when I was writing the book and came up with the subtitle for the book, which I will say I felt very strongly about with, um, in my discussions with my publisher, I felt strongly that I wanted it to be that there are 10 surefire ways to design a workplace that's good for people, great for business, and just might change the world, that they're not mutually exclusive, that, that it, they are all aligned. And I wondered if I would get some eye rolls. I mean, what do you mean, you know, a human workplace can change the world? Isn't that a little lofty? But I truly believe it does in a couple of ways. First, when we think about the current workplace and talent and who is coming into the workplace, as, as many of the people know that are, on, that are listening in today, Millennials are going to make up 75% of the workforce by 2025 and 50% by 2020, which, as we know, is literally right around the corner. And they want to work for companies that care about something bigger. And they want to work for a company that helps connect the dots between what individual people do in a company and those broader goals. And so it's pushing leaders in companies to be much more clear about the kinds of things that that they care about because they know it's important in attracting and retaining top talent. So I would say that is number one. And companies and leaders and CEOs are, are having to choose what, 
what broader societal issues should they speak out on? Should they not speak out on? And when they ask me my opinion, I say, when in doubt, turn to your company values and those should help drive how you align yourself with these, with these broader issues. I would say a second area that's, that's in the book that also helps to change the world is the importance in giving back, whether it's to your local community, you know, whether it's to certain causes that, that you care about. And when, again, people want to work for companies that are focused on giving back in some way, shape, or form. So in my opinion, millennials are bringing amazing things to the workplace. And part of that is pushing companies to be more human and getting involved in issues that do change the world. You and I have been sort of somewhat steeped in the whole workplace culture thing for a while now. So we uh, we might forget that some people it's a bit of an unidentified flying object. <laughs> what do you say to people who might be on the fence about committing to this idea of culture, let alone a human culture? The first thing people will ask me is, you know, what does that even mean to bring your human to work? You know, what is a human culture? And my definition of a human culture and bringing your human to work is about honoring relationships. And it's honoring relationships with your colleagues, with your boss, with the people that work for you, with your clients and customers, and even with yourself. And in this digital age that we find ourselves in, you know, excusing the cheesy pun, but left to our own devices, we're often not connecting. And when people connect in the work, you know, we spend most of our day, weeks, months, years in at work, a big chunk of our time, and figuring out ways to connect with people in your company is really important to us as human beings, but also to the bottom line of our companies. And so, yes, I often get, you know, is this stuff touchy-feely? You know, is there science behind it? And I would say the answer is yes. So why is a human workplace good for us as individuals? The Surgeon General recently came out with a study last year that found that the biggest health risk facing our country is not smoking or secondhand smoke, it's loneliness and isolation. Loneliness and isolation, interestingly, has the same impact on our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And so given how much time we're spending at work, we, you know, if you're a leader in a company, a manager in a company, or even an individual contributor, figuring again out ways to ensure that people are connected is important to us as people. On the business side, I often talk about, you know, the, the study out of the you know, Gallup that found that people that have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged and much less likely to leave. And we know how expensive turnover is. And when I heard that study and started looking into it, I asked myself, what does that even mean to have a best friend at work? And one of the ways that they measure that question on their survey is, do you have people in the workplace that you talk to and connect with on non-work-related things? And you know, if people are choosing not to connect or calling into a meeting from down the hall or texting somebody in the next cubicle, you are missing out on that opportunity to, to bring your human to work and to connect. And it does have real bottom line implications. You're not saying that people need to shun technology or anything like that. Where, how do you find that balance between you know, connecting with people face-to-face and using technology to further that connection? Not, a, not at all. I, um, I mean, I'm a huge, huge fan of technology. There's a chapter in the book called Finding the Sweet Spot Between Tech and Connect, 
So my belief, I mean, we're all, we have 800 plus people, I think you said that sign up for this podcast today. And we are without, technology is enabling us to have this conversation. But if this is the only way that we communicated with people all day long, you know, 365 days a year, that would be the problem. So I believe strongly in leveraging technology for all of its greatness and what it enables us to do, but then figuring out within our organizations, within our teams, when, where, and how we can put technology, quote unquote, in its place and connect in other ways. So one piece of advice that I often give teams, and I will say it doesn't always make me the most popular person in the room, is that at least one meeting a week, you know, it depends on the team, it depends on how often they need to get together, is that the camera needs to be on. That, you know, at least once a week, everybody needs to see each other. There's great technology to be able to, to do this and to remember that there's a person behind the screen. I, I met recently with a woman who works for Herman Miller, and she said that on her Monday morning meetings, everybody knows it doesn't matter where in the world you are. She jokes and says, look, I don't even care what you're wearing as long as it's appropriate, but you have to turn, you know, be in your bathrobe, but the camera needs to be on so that we can remember who we are. And again, that there's a person behind the technology. And so it makes those rules of the road, the protocols, even more important when, when people are remote. You say in your book that you love a good meeting. What makes you hate a bad meeting? Oh God, there's so many bad meetings. What makes me crazy, there are so many meetings that people have just out of inertia. They've always had the 11 a.m. on Wednesday meeting, but they haven't stopped to say, huh, you know what? We don't really need to have the 11 a.m. on Wednesday meeting anymore. Or they err on the side of, you know, well, we want to be inclusive, so we're going to invite everybody to this meeting, even though it is, it's such a waste of time. So my advice, and, and I think to get away from a lot of the mistakes that people make around meetings, is to start off by making sure that there is a purpose behind the meeting. And so we need to be more strategic. I think meetings are great. It is time. I mean, it's an opportunity for us to connect as people face-to-face or remotely, but let's make sure we actually do that as part of the meeting. We know that physical presence and psychological or emotional presence are two different things. So if you decide that there's a purpose to the meeting, make sure that everybody's present. Maybe put everybody's phones in a basket or maybe just pull them out for the for the last 10 minutes. But you know, one of the things I truly hate about meetings is when you're sitting in a meeting and everybody is half working and not paying attention to each other and it hurts relationships and it's less productive. I know I'm guilty of that. As a writer, it's, uh, you kind of have to talk to me while I'm tapping away on my computer. <laughs> but uh, I like that you challenge, challenge my uh, idea of what I should be doing in a meeting. I'm not typing right now. So. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. I'm not either. <laughs> you know, there's uh, been a lot of talk about getting rid of or somehow breaking down the idea of the 40-hour work week. Do you think companies can be more productive by having their people work less? I don't know if it's necessarily about working less or more. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it's about working smarter. I mean, the amount of time that people waste, you know, whether it's you're, you know, working on a spreadsheet or working on something where you're really in deep thought and you get a text, you know, you don't turn off your notifications and then 
the, the data shows that if you're in the zone really concentrating on something and you get interrupted by a text, it takes on average 23 minutes to get back into that zone of productivity. So I'm not a big believer that people would be any less or more productive with a four-day work week versus a five-day work week versus fully remote. I think it comes down to working with a manager that to ensure that your employees' goals are clear. They know what the objectives are. They have the resources that they need, you know, personal or other, to get that job done. And there is some level of flexibility in how they can carry it out. So the top three things that people want, again, focusing on millennials and Gen Z for a moment, although this desire for purpose at work actually increases with age, but the top three things that people want at work, purpose and meaning, working for, you know, understanding how what they're doing fits into the greater purpose. They want flexibility and they want to grow on the job. And it's a huge one. If, you, if people don't feel like they are growing, I, I always say sort of up, down and sideways because gone are the days of you know, IBM or General Motors, where there were, you know, so many rungs in the ladder. And there's only so far up people can go that companies have to be more creative about figuring out ways to help people grow. And so, you know, in, there's everything from, you know, a company in, in the book called Mogul, where they will even provide professional development dollars toward your side hustle. You know, maybe you want to go take an improv class, wow. you know, and, and so... And what's interesting is some people think that if you pay for professional development, the person's going to take that, take those new skills and leave and go somewhere else. But the opposite is actually true, that you're much more likely to stay with the company because they know that they are being supported in this growth and development. So it is, you know, one of the most important things for companies to think about. And this is much more than sort of an off-the-shelf, okay, everybody's going to go to this class and, and check the box. I call this chapter in the book, Take Professional Development Personally. And the reason why I called it that is it's much more about ensuring that your managers and leaders have real conversations and connections with their employees to find out what is it that drives you? What are the skills that you want to learn that may be related to your current job? And quite frankly, they may be unrelated and that's okay too. So what would you say to a, a CHRO to convince them to invest money in increasing opportunity? What, what are the, what's the business case for doing that? Well, I would say the first part of the business case is, is turnover that given that the data is clear that this is what people want, study after study after study, if they don't get it, they leave. And in a tight job market like we have today, it's hard to replace that person and turnover is unbelievably expensive. So that is the first business case. The second thing I would say to them is that not every type of professional development has to call, I mean, especially for if it's a smaller company that doesn't have a huge, huge budget, a lot of times when I talk about the book, I say, first of all, when you read the book and see a lot of the ideas, number one, it's not rocket science. These are not all things that people haven't thought about before. And number two, it doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg. You don't have to be the Googles and the Facebooks to adopt many of these strategies. So specifically, it's your questions on professional development. There's a company in the book in that chapter called dosomething.org, not for profit. They don't have a huge budget. 
you know, they do have less than a hundred people. So if it's a huge company, we can talk about other strategies, but specifically for do something, they, you know, the, the CEO, Arya Finger will ask her employees, you know, what is it, you know, how do you want to grow on the job? Do you want to become a better public speaker? Do you want to have a byline in an article? You know, do you want to become a manager? What is it? And just by asking that question and, and tracking what it is that people want to learn, when those opportunities present themselves, she's able to match the opportunities with what the people want. And it literally costs zero. And so this does not have to be, you know, a huge, huge undertaking. There's another company in the book where they ask all the people, what, what kinds of skills can you teach and share with the organization? And every, you know, they have a, a lunch and learn every month where someone inside the company is teaching everyone else something. Yeah, I love that idea of having an internal Skillshare program because I think a lot of times professional development can be, you know, again, not very personal. It's like there's, well, there's a management track and you can go to the management meetings, but maybe that's not what you're interested in. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, A refrain that comes back up again and again in your writing is the idea you mentioned, uh, you touched on a little bit earlier. Uh, honoring relationships. What does it mean to honor a relationship and why is it such a big part of bringing your human to work? So when I think about honoring relationships, it's honoring that relation, it's honoring your relationship with your coworkers, with your boss, people that work for you, with your customers, clients, and also with, with yourself. And one of the ways that I think about this is Let's think about communication along a continuum. On the one end, we have instant message and text and Slack, if you use it, to email, to picking up the phone, to walking down the hall, to getting on a plane, to connect with a client or with a colleague. And all of those mediums of communication are not created equal. But what I see from a societal perspective, all ages, that we are defaulting to that technological end of the spectrum, oftentimes. And when I think about honoring relationships, I I say to people, here's one thing that all of us can do in our relationships, in our work, you know, this is or work or at home. We can pause and we can say to ourselves, you know, before you send that email, we can say to ourselves, what is the goal? You know, I'm, I'm running five minutes late for a meeting, send a text, send an email. You know, I have a client who seems kind of unhappy or an employee who I'm worrying might be a little off and one foot out the door. Sending an email is probably not the best idea. And so pause and think about what are you trying to achieve? You know, what is your strategy? And from there, what is the best medium of communication to, that will best help me honor that relationship? And what I find when I personally do that, more times than not, I end up picking up the phone instead of sending an email or walking down the hall instead of picking up the phone or even getting on a plane if I need to. And so, you know, matching the message to the medium, especially in this digital age, is a critical way to honor relationships. Yeah, I think too often we reach for the easiest way to communicate rather than the right way. Yeah, and oftentimes we think that that will also be the most efficient. And as we all know, after two and two or three emails back and forth, you know, it's clearly not 
more efficient. And some companies are even starting to create organizational protocols to say, you know, Brunello Cuccinelli, the clothing company does that. And they say, you know what, after two emails, no more email. You got to pick up the phone. (laughs) I'm going to steal that (laughs) and implement it with my team. Good. Let me know how that Um, goes. (laughs) I will. Uh, I want to look ahead here to the future. What do you think of the job title head of culture or chief culture officer? Is that the next step for uh, aspiring CHROs or HR managers? Should we all start shaping our resumes around that? I mean, I... I'll have to send. I'll, I'll have to send it to you after, and you can post it if any of your listeners want to read it. But I do have a slide that has all of these different titles that I'm seeing mm-hmm. these in these organizations, from to chief culture officer to chief relationship officer, chief wellness officer. Yesterday, I saw as a CMO, chief motivational officer. The UK actually has a minister of loneliness. You know, we talk about the biggest health risk facing the country. So I do think there is a shift, you know, away from sort of human resources into a more people-oriented field. Actually, Etsy, I don't know if they have it anymore, at one time had a title that was a values alignment officer or something like that. So yeah, I think that you, you can call it a variety of different things, but it's more you know, signaling to the organization that, you know, the people function and the culture function is a critical part of one's business strategy. And it's less about, you know, seeing people as resources, but thinking more holistically about your culture. Where can we, uh, where can we follow you and uh, what's coming up on your schedule? Anything to plug? Let's see. So you can find me. My website is uh, www.ericakeswin.com. It's E-R-I-C-A-K-E-S-W-I-N.com. I've created a month, a human headlines monthly newsletter. So I won't bombard you, but each month I highlight a leader, sometimes two or three, but pro- really do, doing a deep dive on what I call a leader who gets it. And I often associate each of the newsletters every month with one of the chapters in the book. So if you want to subscribe to that, um, people have been getting some really great feedback on that. I'm going to be heading down to South by Southwest to do a number of events down there. I'm also speaking at Work Human, which is Global Forces um, Conference. So if anybody's there, please reach out. I would love to say hello. Awesome. I would... Uh, I would- also like to, you know, make my own little endorsement for this book. It's like, like you said, Erica, it's, it's not rocket science, but having it all together in one place, clearly laid out, it really is, you know, a, a blueprint for uh, you know, the sort of the future of workplace strategy and workplace culture. So just absolutely thrilled to have you on here to talk with us about this and, and, and really, really push the, uh, the thinking forward. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and being a part of this. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we break down big ideas into bite-sized pieces you can take with you and implement in your workplace culture. The first is that if you aren't honoring relationships at work, you're not bringing your human to work. Next time you're about to send an email to a coworker, stop for a second and think. Is this an opportunity to connect with a fellow human? It might be efficient, but sometimes the most efficient method of communication isn't the most human one. If you're just sending a quick reminder, 
maybe a text message is the way to go. If you need to have a conversation and can go talk to them face-to-face, go talk to them face-to-face. You might be surprised how much time you can save by using a less efficient form of communication. The second is that out of the top three things employees want from their jobs, purpose, flexibility, and opportunities to grow, opportunities might be the most important. There's an unspoken fear that if we invest in someone's professional development, they might take their newfound skills somewhere else. But it's just the opposite. People are much more likely to stay because they know their growth is being supported. As Erica puts it, companies have to be more creative about figuring out ways to help people grow. Your workplace culture depends on it. The third is that what I hate about bad meetings is bad snacks. Or worse, no snacks at all. If you want your team to devote an hour or more to a late afternoon meeting, bring your human and bring something to eat. After all, food is the original connector. It brings people together, facilitates conversation, and most importantly, keeps people quiet while others are speaking. That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and subscribe to The Workplace on Stitcher. It really helps us grow and better understand our listeners. The Workplace is sponsored by O.C. Tanner, the global leader in employee recognition. O.C. Tanner helps thousands of top companies create engaging cultures where people can accomplish and appreciate great work. 25 of the Fortune 100 best companies to work for use an O.C. Tanner recognition solution. Learn how to influence greatness in your organization at octanner.com.